At what age do you plan to retire? That question is more complex than most people think. With a look, here's InfoTrack's Roy Mackey. Roy? Thank you, Chris. Beth Truesdale is a research fellow at the W.E. Upjohn Institute for Employment Research and a visiting scholar at the Harvard Center for Population and Development Studies. And she's now the co-editor of a book called Overtime, America's Aging Workforce and the Future of Working Longer. Professor Truesdale, through the years, we've talked to quite a few experts in retirement planning and Social Security, and most of them advise that Americans take Social Security as late as they can, even working until Till age 70. And the idea does make sense because delaying your benefits from the full retirement age adds 8% to your benefit amount each year. Just to set the stage, what percentage of Americans sign up for Social Security at 62, the earliest age possible, and what percentage take it at 70, the latest possible? So you make a really good point that if people are able to wait to claim to age 70, it's hugely powerful in terms of the monthly benefit that they're going to get for the rest of their lives. If you can wait from age 62 to age 70, you end up with monthly benefits that are around 80% higher. So that's hugely powerful. But the reality is that that just isn't an option for an awful lot of people. And a main reason for that is that people being able to delay retirement relies on them having jobs to delay retiring from. And while we might sort of have this mental model in mind of, you know, everybody's got a job till 65 and then they quit. So, you know, what's the problem with just delaying for another few years? That's actually not the reality for most Americans. We found in some of the research that we did that only about half of Americans have steady employment all the way through their 50s. So for people who are already out of the labor force in their late 50s or early 60s, the idea that they're going to be able to continue to work to get back into the labor force and to continue to work all the way to 65 or 67 or 70 is just a real non-starter for a lot of people. What are the reasons that they don't have steady employment into their 50s? There are a bunch of reasons. Some of the main ones that we found in our research are poor health, a lot of people, you know, run into health problems as they age and you know, those are health problems that get in the way of their ability to stay employed. For a lot of people, those are health problems that they're not qualifying for social security disability insurance, which has very, very stringent requirements, but there are problems that still get in the way of work. So poor health is a big one. Caregiving responsibilities is another big one that you might not think of right away, but especially for women in their 50s and early 60s, these are the prime years when their elder generation, their parents, their parents-in-law are needing care. And because that kind of caregiving often falls to women, about a third of American women at some point in their 50s are providing intensive caregiving to the elder generation. And unsurprisingly, for some of those people, that really gets in the way of being able to continue to work. So caregiving responsibilities are a second one. A third one is unstable jobs. You know, for many people, if you're laid off in your late 50s or early 60s, and that's remarkably common, it's very difficult then to get a job that's as good as the one you lost. The statistic that's always staggering to me is that even among people who start out their 50s with, you know, full-time, full-year jobs, these jobs that look like they're pretty steady, about half of those people 
will experience what economists call an employer-related job separation during their 50s or early 60s. That is, having to quit their job or being laid off or pushed out by their employer in their 50s or early 60s, about half of people. And of people who have that kind of a job separation, only one in 10 ever again finds a job that pays them as well as the one they lost. So those are three really big ones. Unstable jobs, caregiving responsibilities, and poor health. So what retirement age do you think should become the norm for most Americans? At the minute, we have a situation where people can, in a sense, choose their own retirement age, and they can claim their Social Security anywhere between 62 and 70. For me, what's really important about the conversation that's being had right now about the future of Social Security is that some people are proposing that we should raise the full retirement age from age 67, which is where it's going to be for the generations that are coming up right now, that we should raise that from 67 to 70, or, you know, I've heard people say 76, why not? And what's really important about that is not so much like what is the one right, correct age for people to retire. What's really important is that if we push the age at which people can claim Social Security to older and older ages, that is going to leave a lot of people behind. And the people who are going to be left behind are the people who are not able, for whatever reason, to continue to stay in the labor force and to work productively for more years. Those people are disproportionately people who are already disadvantaged. So that, for me, is really the core of what needs to be part of this conversation. One problem is that as Social Security stands today, if Congress doesn't fix the program, Americans will only receive 77% of their full benefits starting in 2034. Obviously, that's not very far off, and there don't appear to be any efforts in Washington to do anything. So what needs to be done, in your opinion? That's right. This is a problem that you know people have seen coming for a long time. This is the slowest moving crash that you can imagine. The population has been aging for many, many years, both living longer and fertility rates declining. And what that means for a program like Social Security is that there are fewer people of working age paying into the program as there are a greater number of people in their older years receiving benefits from the program. So how you fix that shortfall is an incredibly important question. You're going to have to either cut benefits, raise revenues, or some combination of the two. And there are a lot of different proposals about exactly how to balance cutting benefits, raising revenues. My own opinion is that there are a lot of ways that you can go about raising revenues that actually are more fair than to cut benefits by raising retirement ages. One of those is to raise or to lift the Social Security tax cap. At the moment, the cap is at about $150,000. And what that means is that somebody who earns right at that cap is paying the same amount of Social Security taxes as somebody who's earning a million dollars a year or $10 million a year. That's not how the program was originally designed. It was not originally designed for so many people to have so much income that's not being taxed under the Social Security program. If people who were making higher incomes paid the same proportion of their income into Social Security as people who made less, that wouldn't by itself completely fix the shortfall, but it would go a long way to fixing it. 
So I would like to see more of those kinds of solutions being really at the core of how to shore up Social Security for the future. Are Americans saving enough outside of Social Security in order to make early retirement realistic? People are not saving enough outside of Social Security. This is really not a problem about individuals. It's a problem about how we've set up a system for people to do their retirement savings. You have a situation where only about half of workers have an employer-based pension, and that's a number that really hasn't budged much over the last few decades. That's a problem because as a society, we have really set up our pension saving system to revolve around employment. So when you have half the population that just doesn't have access to that kind of a saving system, you've got a real problem. So I would like to see more automatic kinds of savings plans that are available to people throughout their lives where it's much easier to be saving for retirement across the whole of your life course, even if you're moving from job to job, even if you're working in jobs where your employer doesn't offer a pension. But you know, these are investments that if we were to make those kinds of investments in today's people who are middle-aged and younger, those are relatively small investments that can pay off in really substantial terms in 10 years, in 20 years. But we have to be thinking in the long term like that. This entire topic of reforming Social Security and retirement planning in general seems to be kind of almost like a third rail in Washington, D.C. You know, anyone who brings it up and is willing to talk about it is immediately attacked. How optimistic are you that something can be done to fix the problems before we all run off the cliff here? You know, I'm pretty optimistic that there are options out there. There are lots of people who are talking about different ways to reform Social Security to fix this shortfall. I agree with you that it's an, just an incredibly difficult political topic. And, you know, I'm sure that there are many politicians who would just rather avoid it because it's so very difficult. But that's true of so many difficult political topics. And Social Security is one that is absolutely critical. Well above 90% of Americans eventually receive Social Security benefits in retirement. It's incredibly important to the well-being, not only of older people, but to the society as a whole. And I think I'm pretty optimistic that at some point we're going to see action on it. Beth Truesdale, the co-editor of a book called Overtime, America's Aging Workforce and the Future of Working Longer. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. For InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey. And that's it for this week's show. Our internet services are provided by Pair Networks. InfoTrack's executive producer is Randy Meyer, and I'm Chris Whitting. We hope you'll join us right here next week for another edition of InfoTrack.